We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome everyone to, uh, I wow, mean, I was just about to say I'm back from vacation, I'm fired up, I'm ready to go, it was a long time in the car, or at least long for me, I know like some people like long car rides, I am not one of those people, uh, but we're back, it's Friday free for all mailbag time, I'm fired up, I'm ready to go, it's Brian, it's Vince, uh, and it will be Ryan uh, eventually, he's we'll having get him. some technical difficulties, but he'll get in here, don't worry about that everybody, uh, so it's really like normally we're like, hey, you know, save the recruiting questions yeah. till the second hour. We're just going to get to all of it. We're going, baby. We're just going to go and we're going to have a great time and it's going to be a lot of fun. But you guys are the ones in charge of this. So make sure you get your questions in. I'm still not. Well, I didn't go far enough south. He went to can. Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> there, was, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. <laughs> and it was raining most of the time. So right. there was definitely right. not a whole lot of sun. Uh, but still had a great time with the family and a little recharge of the batteries. So. Uh, but right back into the swing of things. And we're I'm glad to have up. you back, Fence. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back. back. So, uh, Brian, first things first. It, this is the mailbag, and we want to do everything that everybody wants us to talk about, which is great. But you happened to put out an article last night, which was, um, I know that I'm a little biased, fantastic. Um, let's talk about that just yeah. briefly and kind of why you did it, number one. Well, that's and, the big thing yeah. I want I want people to understand is, yeah. you know, I, I was talking to my dad about this and I said, you know, like if I would have just wrote this article just on a normal Tuesday for no reason, it would have been petty. It would have been just like, like, why are you obsessing over this guy? Not that anything in there I, I didn't believe, haven't believed for a long time. It's just kind of like, you know, I mean, we've taken plenty of shots at Brian Kelly in this podcast and the sure. things I wrote in the article aren't necessarily new to people in this show, but, you know, I didn't really use the space on the website to do it, but you know, I felt like after his comments yesterday, a, a, a response was needed. But I want people to understand that I didn't just emotionally go write that article. It, it was several hours before I published my article. And the reason why, Vince, and I explained this to you is I reached out to several former players, people that played for Brian Kelly and those before him. Uh, I reached out to people that I know that that don't have the disdain for Brian Kelly that I have. Because my concern, Vince, and this is what I expressed to you last night, was I don't like the guy. I've made that very clear. Right. And if I just emotionally respond to his comments, it's just going to be me versus Brian Kelly. 
Right. And and mm-hmm. I don't really care to get into that. It, it was it was like so. Did I did the players take his comments about them the way that I did, or did I read my dislike of him into those comments? After I talked to the former players and and the people that I know that are close to the program, it was it was literally everyone was like, get them. You know what I mean? Like you read it exactly how we read it. It was disrespect to us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Get them. So once I kind of had their blessing, uh, it was ether time at that point. And, you know, (laughs) and that's why I said what I said, because it all comes down to you want to complain about, you know, I mean, some of the stuff in there is not necessarily it's not untrue. Notre Dame doesn't have the nutrition program where it needs to be. Never hear me say different. Right. The issue that I have is that when you're going to like act like that's the reason you never won a title at Notre Dame, and and the comment about you know the I, I want to be with players that you know that want to be great, want to like, win. Excuse like, me. What? Yeah. Uh, you know, and just some of those comments, and he's been throwing shade at Jack Swarbrick since he left. The reality is, is Jack Swarbrick's the only reason you got a chance to have the legacy you have because everybody else basically wanted you gone after 2016. Yep. But Jack defended you. Jack was the one that kept you here, right or wrong. I'm not taking a stance on Jack's decision to keep him, but that's the reality of it. And then to throw shade at him the way that you have when Jack is minimum $600 million. I was having a, a friend of mine who's in the development office, and he's like, you can comfortably say minimum $600 million, comfortably. And we could probably get into it where maybe it was closer to a billion dollars. But, you know, so don't tell me that the, the program hasn't been improved and they haven't done what they needed to do. Jack Swarbrick's the one that said, told you to tell Marcus Freeman, money won't be an issue for you turning down LSU. So, like, less than, you know, a year after you outbid basically LSU for the best defensive coordinator in the game, you're going to say that Notre Dame didn't, you know, wasn't student-centered and all this other stuff. And it was just like the least – caring coach that Notre Dame's ever had in regards to players. I had one of the players, he's like, he's like talking about like being student center. It's like he would come give us a talk when we got back in January and then leave, go out of town, and we wouldn't see him again until spring ball started. So he's like, how are you going to be student athlete centered when that's the reality? Right. And just people understand, that's a guy that's in the National Football League right now. Everyone that I talk to is a former starter, someone who played, because you guys know my stance on talking to third stringers and things. Not that they deserve any – less respect but it's kind of like there's there can be more agendas behind someone who maybe didn't play as much and so I just want people to understand that's what was behind it and and the shots at the players and and then just the overall theme of you didn't win it's like you know one of the comments was you know you didn't you didn't go for two in the fourth quarter while up 11 against Northwestern because and it failed because you didn't have an on-site chef you know what I mean like those are your decisions and that's always been my issue today is, is Brian Kelly has always blamed everybody else for why he failed. He blamed everybody else for why he didn't recruit hard. He blamed everybody else for why he hired Brian, Brian Van Gorder and kept him. No, nobody forced him to do that. There's nothing inherent about Notre Dame that caused him to keep Brian Van Gorder beyond 2014 when everybody knew by the end of 2014 that that, was a, that guy was, was a joke. You know, nobody nobody forced him to hire Jeff Quinn and keep him for five years. Nobody hired him, you know, forced him to hire Jeff Dell Alexander and and keep him for five years. Those were all on him, all on him. And so it just was one of those things where, you know, your people say, like, you know, just leave Brian Kelly's gone. Great. Brian Kelly's the one that brought this back. And the fact that it was like two different articles, it was pure peak Brian Kelly. 
It was it was clear spin. It was intentional. It was the same crap that we heard last year about. This is the best coaching job Brian Kelly's ever done, and people in the media just lap it up. You know, oh my gosh, yeah. And the hype men come out, you know, and for Brian Kelly and all. And I'm just not having it anymore, you know, because the players are too respectful of the university to clap back at Brian Kelly that way. I'm not an alum. I don't owe the institution that, so I clapped back and. It just needed to be said. So I just wanted people to understand what was behind it. I didn't wake up yesterday with any desire to write an article about Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly wasn't on my mind yesterday. It was about, look, this is what he said. This is what the truth is. And I can, I'll tell you all this. I probably shared 10% of what I know about what went on behind the scenes with Brian Kelly. And, and even then wasn't direct. If I laid out all the things that I know about what Brian Kelly did and how little regard he had for his you players, could write a book. Vince, you know maybe half of it. <laughs> you could write a book. Because I've shared stuff with you. Yeah. He would be done. Yeah. I mean, he would be done. But I'm not going to do that because that would out players. But there's a reason why I have the disdain I have for Brian Kelly. And, and it's not anything personal beyond I don't like coaches – that treat players the way that he treated players. Yep. I don't like coaches who cheat the game and cheat kids. And that's who Brian Kelly is. And that's who Brian Kelly always will be. And we saw it. We, sh- you know, look, I supported the hire of Brian Kelly. We should have saw it then though. We should have saw it then the way the, the that Englands were there. Yeah. And I, I brushed you know, that aside. I was like, Oh, right. you know, how, what is he right. supposed to do? You know, right. but it, yeah, looking back on it. Absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned Jack Swarbrick, you know, keeping him around in 2016. And was that the right decision and all those different things? The way I look at it personally is that if he doesn't come back and the, the, the process of all the things that happened, all the events that took place from 2016 until December of 2021, they all took place for a reason. And that's why Marcus Freeman is now the head coach at Notre Dame. Yes. And that's the way I look at it. And that makes it. it worth it. And that makes it worth it to me. For Absolutely. us. For but us. it doesn't make it worth it for the for the players who don't get to play for Marcus. Freeman. Exactly, they were cheated. You know, look, the Notre Dame had the roster in 2015 to play for a championship. They didn't have the coaching, right? So, so don't talk to me about oh, they didn't have the right players. No, 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 they didn't have the right head coach who didn't hire the right strength coach who didn't hire the right defensive coordinator. If you want to thank someone for hiring Matt Bayless, thank Bob Diaco because Brian Kelly was about to hire someone from USC. As his strength coach after 2016. And Bob Diaco called him, who had just been fired at UConn. And he said, and Matt Bayless was Bob Diaco's strength coach. And Bob Diaco's the one to call Brian Kelly. was like, hey, man, you need to slow down on this hire. You need to talk to my guy, Matt Bayless. So you can thank Bob Diaco for that, right? So Brian Kelly wasn't dumb enough to say no. That's that's where Brian Kelly gets the credit for that one. You know, I've said this before. It was Jack Swarbrick and Chad Clunder that made the drive to hire Clark Lee, or excuse me, uh, Chip Long and Mike Elko, which inherently brought Clark Lee because Mike Elko was bringing Clark Lee with him. And so the best hires that Brian Kelly made were not hires he wanted to make or, or was driving the bus to make. And those are just one of the many reasons why Brian Kelly, if Brian Kelly, and, and, and this is the one comment that, that I put in there that, that I felt really needed to be said was he crossed a line with his comments yesterday because he took a shot and blamed players essentially. And that's how they took it. Most of them that I've, I mean, all the ones I've talked to took it. I'm I'm assuming there's going to be some that don't agree with me. That's always the case. I'd be shocked if there aren't, 
but the reality is 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 he he took a shot at them when in reality it was them that propped him up not the other way around and that he never gave them what they gave him and that right there is at the heart of what I wanted to say yesterday so um I'm I'm ready to move on to the questions now, but I really felt the context of why that article writ- was written. Because I'm assuming there's some people that read my article that don't know where it came from. Right? Like, why are you why are you responding writing this? Why are you responding to this? And I just want people to understand, this wasn't about me disliking BK. This was about, and I and I don't. I mean, I've never hidden that, but I I put thought into whether or not to even write it. You know, because I tweeted initially, like, well, I know what I'm working on tonight. That was my emotion. But then I was like, hold on a second. Like, is this really what I need to do? And that's why I reached out to the people I reached out to. And that's why it took me a couple hours to get that together right. because, you know, I wanted to make sure. And Vince, you know, there were several rewrites because well, I, 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 I took gonna... out some some really hard shots at him. I took yeah. out. And, I, and I, I wanted to mention that because there's probably been a handful of times where you've had me proof an article for you. Like, hey, how does this sound? You know what I mean? And yesterday was one of those days. Like, you wanted to make sure that it came across correctly. It wasn't just cheap shot after cheap shot, right? And and not saying that you would do that, but you didn't even want it to come across that that's what it was going to be. And so, right. like, I, I had no problem yeah. taking shots at him, but I wanted to make sure that the shots were built on truth and fact. Right, right. And that it wasn't just petty shots at him. Exactly. The shots were meant to prove a point that was at the heart of the article. Right. And and that these were your decisions. And I didn't even bring up like the, the Clemson stuff, you know, the two-point conversion. My buddy was like, you need to bring that up. And I was like, that's just a disagreement. I mean, there's you can agree to disagree about that decision. The Northwestern right. one was obvious. The two, Tulsa one was obvious. You know, you had a losing record in your career against Stanford. Let's all, let's not kid ourselves. It's like Stanford had these wonderful facilities and, you know, and it just, um, but it's just who Brian Kelly is. It was never his fault. Brian Kelly, how many games did he win at Notre Dame? What was his record at Notre Dame, Vince? Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to pull this up. I remember you said 59 and nine, or 54 and nine, 54 or and nine in the last, you know, however many years, right? It's like the last five years. 54 and nine. He went 54 and nine. Yeah. His overall record at Notre Dame, um, pull it up here real quick, was basically oh. 113 and 39, right? Basically, if I'm doing the math correctly, uh, in Brian Kelly's mind, he was 113 and 0. And the Notre Dame players and the Notre Dame institution was 0-39. I mean, exactly. that's how he views it. And that's why he needed to get uh, slapped in the face a little bit yesterday. And um, I'm not hey, going to lie. I'm glad that I can <clears throat> be the one to do it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Him leaving was best for everybody. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. It was good. It, he sees it as best for him. Yeah. Great. But it was also great for us and Notre Dame faithful people. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's bring Ryan in. Ryan, are you good to go? Woo, Ryan. I'll make sure he's good to go. Okay. Uh, got Ryan with us here. Let's, uh, let's get rocking and roll and put you guys up at the top. But, uh, let's get to the questions, man. So we, we got that out of the way. And, um, you know, now we can move on. Vince, if there's questions or people want to make comments about it, about what we just talked about, that's fine. I mean, just, but just Those like, will probably be towards the bottom. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple if, super if chats. It's something I know that, um, you know, if it's something that like, just, yeah, I just use discretion on what we do. And yep. Bring. I'll put you in charge of the super chats. You can pull those up sure. as, as we go as well. Sure. How's that sound? Might as well get started on one, right? Well, let's do that from toe jam, 1992. Thank you so much for the super chat. Brian, epic takedown of BK. Thank you. What is the over-under on the number of LSU pancakes we get on today's show? Let's go five. Five and a half. Let's do the number we did from yesterday. <laughs> five and a half. Over. <laughs> Taking the over? Yeah, it's probably over. It is, hey, it is what it is. Ryan, you're responsible for that. You're at the bottom waiting on those guys to come up. So that's your task for today. That sounds good. No, <laughs> thank you for that super sticker. There, yes, but absolutely. Yeah, I just uh, just kind of get these initial super chats out of the way, and then we'll dive into the questions. Then, from so. from Alex, thank you very much for the super chat. I know it really ticks me off when I give it several hours to marinate, and I'm still ticked. BK's comments were trash, and I loved your article, Brian. You spoke for a majority of Notre Dame fans. Thanks. Agreed. From Zach Martin, thank you. Well, very I know much. that I spoke for some players. That that <laughs> I do know. You're right. Absolutely. That I do know. Zach Martin with the Super Chat. Thank you very, very much. I guess the LSU's spread is made up entirely of Tobias Merriweather's dad's burnt ends. Nice reference. There. There's a lot going on right there. There's there's, a- there's, there's some really good references there. <laughs> there's a really lot good references there. Uh, Michael Brahoney, thank you very much for the Super Chat. I know everyone is excited about the new coaching hires, and rightfully so. But which position coach would you consider the strongest, excluding Freeman, Golden, Heastand, or other? Well, to to me, Vince, I think it's he stand simply because of the importance of the position and his proven pedigree. It, it right. could end up being Al Golden. It could end up being Al Washington. It could end up being, you know, Chancey Stuckey. I mean, there's there's guys that I think could be candidates. Dylan McCullough. Yeah. But I think when you look at the importance of the position and just how bad it was a year ago, I, I think we have to look at at, at Coach Heastan because 
Al Golden's stepping into a good situation. He's inheriting a group that, you know, Mike Elko and Clark Lee and then Marcus Freeman kind of built into something really good, and it's just don't screw it up. You know, Coach Eastan and Coach Stuckey especially are being tasked with fix this thing. Yeah. And so that's why I say, you know, th- those are the strongest. You got Those are the positions where you have to – like if Al Golden is just go- a good coach, it's going to be go- really good because he inherited a, a, right. a healthy situation. Now I'm not taking anything away from Al Golden. It's not that he won't deserve credit. It's just it's easier to maintain. Yeah. Whereas if the offensive line plays its potential, it's like you had to you had to over same thing with the receivers. You had to overcome inheriting something that was a bit of a mess, and you had to fix it. Yeah. And I, so uh, for Al Golden to really have an impact, he needs to take it to the next level. Well, that's right. going to be a challenge for him. I mean, you lost some really good players, and it was already a pretty good situation. And so that's why I would go with Coach E. Stan. I'd probably go with Chancey Stucky second. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, just because, I mean, of what we're hearing so far. But, you know, we'll see what happens with Al Golden. As, as, well, we just haven't seen enough of the defense in the yeah, spring events for me to right, be able to say, right. you know, one way or the other. And the one full practice didn't really give me a whole lot, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but I, I, here's what I will say. I, Chancey Stucky was the name that came into my head first. But it has to be Harry Heastan. And the reason being is because it's not that I think the wide receivers are going to be bad or that they're not going to take a huge jump, because I think they are. But the offensive line with basically the same guys, for the most part, basically the same guys are going to take such a massive step, and they affect both the run game, mm-hmm. pass. They just affect right. more just because of who they are and just because right. of, of the position, right? If Chancey Stuckey proves to be the best coach in the receiver, he impacts two positions, quarterback and the receivers. Absolutely. Right? Like yes. Harry Heastan impacts everybody. everybody. And that's and that's yeah. why Al Golden probably be the second choice if he is able to – it's just it's hard for me to put him in there because we just have – of how little we've seen, Vince. That's really what it boils down to. It's not anything against Coach Golden. It's just I need to see more. Yeah, you right. know exactly. That's, that's no, the absolutely. Thing. Absolutely. And then uh, I think that is it. With the is that it for your side? So okay. We can... I'm up at the top. Yeah. I, I, I will we... get this one out of the way. Tommy Guns asking how the Riley Wildcats are looking. Dude, the weather has been terrible. We've played one game. I had a lot of unforced errors, so we lost that one game. Uh, who knows when we're going to play again? We've already had four games canceled. So we look real good in a gym. So there you go. Hopefully uh, we've got four games scheduled for this coming week. So uh, hopefully we can get something uh, something he- moving in that direction. So. Sorry, I just had to. I had to. <laughs> That's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. That's fantastic. I did want to answer another question. Is there any way no. we can get the unedited version of the article? <laughs> no. no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. Because the, the last Sorry. thing you want is for it to come off petty. Because that is not yeah. the angle that you wanted to take. No. So, the- Well, yeah, childish is, I guess, unprofessional. Yeah. Like, unprofessional. I don't mind. A, there's a couple petty things I said, but it was intentional. I don't. Yeah. I didn't want it to come off unprofessional. And I, and yeah. I, I hope that I – some people will think it was. I don't care. I mean – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the unedited on the premium message board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan didn't get to see the unedited, the true unedited version. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody actually saw that one. My original Vince, you got the third rewrite. I was gonna say so, I didn't get a bunch of stuff no, in there that no, I was in. Yeah, no. So John A one, we can always count on John to uh, load us up with some questions on the top. He says, which Notre Dame offensive line was the most athletic based on agility, flexibility, foot quickness, and how do you project the twenty two offensive line athleticism in comparison? 
That's a good question. That's a deep question. Man. Yeah. Uh, athleticism. I I'd probably go. I'd probably go 2015, Ryan. Just mm-hmm. because you had Stanley and Quentin back to back, Nick Martin was a pretty athletic kid. But you know, then I start thinking like, I don't know, like, like because like you have to think of like, okay, there had to be at least one individually athletic guy, and so you said, okay, Alex, you know, Zach Martin was, but then it's like, you know, but but Braxton Cave wasn't an overly athletic guy, you know, Mike Golick wasn't necessarily, and then 2011, you know, I, I think the 2011 line actually wasn't a great line, but it, it, you know, Trevor Robinson and, and, and uh, Taylor Deaver and, and Mike, Chris Watt and Nick Martin, Zach Martin. Now that was, that was a line with some pretty good athletes, but I'd, I'd go probably have to go 2015. Ryan is, is cause that was Ronnie Stan- from left to right. It was Ronnie Stanley, Quentin Nelson, Nick Martin, uh, Steve Elmer and Mike McGlinchey. I'd probably have to go with that group from a pure athleticism standpoint. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, you're talking about two NFL level tackles who are both considered good athletes for their position. They both have length. They're both athletic. I mean, Steve Elmer also had a lot of length to him too, and he was a good athlete on the interior. So, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I can't think of another one because I mean, like the 2020 line was a good line as well. But like, I don't, I didn't consider many of those guys incredible athletes you know they were more technicians right. than anything you know right. or in aaron banks's case you know i mean pound for pound was an athletic guy but not right. necessarily like a elite athlete yeah i would agree with that i think the 2022 offensive line has a chance just from again we're just talking pure athleticism has a chance because I, I would probably go like 2015 number one i'd have to really think hard about 11 verse 17 i'd probably have to think hard about that one uh, for number two, but I think I think the 2022 offensive line from a pure athleticism standpoint has a chance to be number one guy. We're just, just we're straight, talking straight athleticism. We're talking straight athleticism because Joe Walt's an athletic player. Yep. Mm-hmm. Blake Fisher, I mean, pound for pound is is one of the better athletes Notre, athletes Notre Dame has had. Jared Patterson to me is the most athletic center that Notre Dame has had. Agree. Um, you know, and then you look at Andrew Kristoffic, so, you know, pretty good, pretty decent athlete for a lineman. Josh Lug as a guard, his athleticism grades out better as a guard than it does as a tackle so ryan i think this line has a chance again just from a pure athleticism standpoint to be in the conversation for the the best of that group i mean all five of those guys could play offensive tackle on the college level they all have yeah yeah Yeah, even patterson backed up left tackle as a freshman right so yeah even in in christophic played played some mean patterson's the only guy who hasn't played tackle in a game at notre dame if you think about it, I mean, because Love yeah. started games at tackle. Andrew Kristoffic early in his career, when he came off the bench, his early playing time in his career was as a tackle. So Patterson, who may be, you know, one of your second or third best athlete on the line, is the only one who didn't play it. But to your point, Ryan, was recruited to play left tackle. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no, your, your shortest guy is six, what? I mean, what's Jared six, Patterson? Four? Six, four and a half, somewhere in that ballpark, yeah. right? It's like, yeah, right. I mean, they all are long athletic players and that's the reason that they all could play tackle and or have played tackle to some degree in the college level so yeah, yeah. i think from a pure athlete i mean christophic's a really good athlete especially for a guard right like mm-hmm. he could, he's athletic enough to play offensive tackle in my opinion he could he's a really good a- athlete inside blake fisher's a freak show i mean from right. a size athleticism perspective i, I so, think yeah. he's a better athlete than ronnie stanley was i mean again just athleticism just athleticism i think he's a better athlete than than ronnie was Ronnie was nimble, but Ronnie, I mean, his numbers at the combine were pretty bad. I mean, they were not good, but he plays athletic and that's what I care more about. But I would argue that, that Blake Fisher is a better athlete than, 
Ronnie, even Ronnie Stanley was at the same age. And I certainly think Joe Walt's a better athlete than Mike McGlinch. You know, he's as powerful. Is he going to be as good and all? That's a different question. Right. But from a pure athletic. So I think tackle absolutely stacks up with the best line that we talked about. Then the question is, okay, what about interior? And that's where, for me, it gets a little bit saying, I, I'm not going to just definitely give it up because Quinn Nelson was an athletic guy, especially for his size. Nick Martin's a good athlete. Steve Elmer was an okay athlete, you know. Steve Elmer and Josh Lug to me is a bit of a wash athletically. It's now about who's more athletic, Patterson and Kristoffic or Q and Nick Martin. And I'm not quite ready to def- definitively say it's the 2022 group. That that was a pretty athletic one-two punch. I mean, from center to left tackle in 2015 was pretty freaky. I mean, from an athleticism standpoint. You know, Nick Martin's your third most athletic guy. Quentin Nelson, that's the thing I don't think a lot of people understand. For a 340 plus pound guy, he's an exceptional athlete. Absolutely. So, absolutely. I'd probably still lean 2015 for now, but the 2022 group has a chance once we get to see them play with a year under their belt and the weight. Because that's the other thing, guys. We're going off of what Joe Walt and Blake Fisher did as true freshmen, right? And that has to be considered as well. So, that's that's my take. All right, we got another offensive line question from Notre Dame 2164. Did Rocco fall out of contention for a starting spot by his performance this spring? Not saying he has been terrible, but I've just been hearing that he looks kind of slow and sluggish. I think it's too early for us. Mm-hmm. Look, I want I want to remind people the media has seen one full practice. Notre Dame's like what nine deep now, Vince? Nine deep in the practice. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. We we have the media seen one full practice and then a couple of stretches. Two parts of others, I mean, which gives you some individual and all that. That's and and like I had a, a good buddy of mine was at practice yesterday and he was telling me like how bad the quarterbacks played and how he's worried about this year. And I'm like, my man, that's one practice out of nine, right? Like I've heard from and the funny thing is I had another friend of mine who's really tied into the program text me last night. He's like, man, Buckner's having a great spring. And it's just <laughs> that's what I love about it, right? Because but but here's the thing though. My buddy yeah. last night was looking at the context of the entire spring. Sure. Right. My other buddy was looking at what he one saw practice. yesterday. Right. And so that's the thing is we got to be careful with that. And that's what I always kind of get nervous about putting those type of negative observations because they can be taken, you know, even the positive ones. I mean, somebody has a great day. They may have, that may have been the only good practice they've had, you know, we don't know. And that's what I'm saying. I just, I'm not ready to say that Rocco's fallen out of contention. I, I, you know, again, it is the spring. I think there's more important things than necessarily his agility right now. It's, are you learning? Are you competing? Cause then you can kind of whoop him into shape. If he's doing other things really well, mentally picking up the offense, battling hard, really showing strength. But he's just his foot quickness is the problem. You can fix that between the end of April to to you know to, to sure. the beginning of August, right? So I, no, I don't think he's fallen out of contention, and I think we definitely can't say that based on on what we've seen so far because we just haven't seen a lot, and right, good or bad, and right. That's why we've tried to rely on what we've heard from source and, and like any source that I give on like the intel pieces is people that I know for a fact are looking at things from a bigger picture, like a whole spring point of view, not just someone who was right. at a practice. Cause I've gotten plenty of comments from people that were a, at a practice. And sometimes it's like, okay, your comments aren't, aren't falling in line with other things that I have heard from people that are kind of there every day. Right. And so you have to, you have to measure all of that stuff and, and go with it. But that's no that's matter what sport you're talking about. One practice does not make like, 
you can only right. glean so much from one practice, right? Right. As a head coach, as an assistant coach, as as a media member or whatever, yeah, you could be really impressed with a kid for one practice, but can they sustain it? That's the biggest question, right? right. And you're not going to know that unless and can you sustain it in a positive way or sustain right. it in a good way right and you're not going to know that unless you're at every right practice. so it's like this is a, if the only time you ever saw tom brady play was in the second super bowl against the giants would you be like wow that guy's the greatest of all time right no no if, if the only time you ever saw john elway play was in the super bowl against the 49ers you'd have a very different of opinion of someone who watched him for the entirety of his career sure. i'm using those extreme examples right. to show that like you're 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 not defined by what you do on your worst day, basically, and that's why you got to be careful. That anytime you make an, a, 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 it's like when when you're a coach, you don't watch a kid have a bad game and say we're not recruiting that guy. It's right. it's a you know yeah, but the other three games he was phenomenal. That's you got to be careful. Your, of that. You have to do your due diligence on the flip side too. Hey, this guy played phenomenal. Okay, he had a, he had a great game when you saw him, but right here's a couple other games that you may want to consider as well. Right, absolutely. John asks, what are the components or attributes of an offense that has a strong screen game? I mean, we already started it off a little bit with the question about offensive line, right? Like you need, you need an athletic offensive lineman to get out in front and navigate space. I mean, that's one thing. Uh, running backs that have good vision in the open field or just playmakers, I should say, because it doesn't necessarily say running back screen. So you need playmakers that have the ability, again, to read blocks, read space, ability to navigate through it effectively. And you need patience, honestly. Patience is a big key, especially running back screens. Like you need to, you can't rush those things. You have to be able to um, really kind of let things develop. And the components are also the fact that, like, hey, you need you need a you need a solid offensive attack. Otherwise, right? You need a running threat. You need you need the ability you need the ability to take advantage. You need a smart coaching staff to understand, like, oh, here comes the pressure. Here comes. Mm -hmm you know, the different pressure pressure packages. They're bringing six this time, whatever it might be. So it's a, there's a lot of components to it, but I think the main criteria is you need playmakers that can navigate space really well. You need offensive linemen that can get out and be athletic enough to, to counteract defenders in space as well. There's one more really important piece to this as well, and everything, Ryan, you said is spot on. Timing, and that's from a play design standpoint. Timing to a screen is important. And sometimes that can mean quickly getting the ball out, right? Like if you hold a bubble screen too long, it's not going to work, right? And then when we think of screens, we think of the more slower developing the slips and things like that. You know, that's another piece to it too, Ryan, is, is all the things you said, you need linemen that are good in space, you need backs that have good vision, because you got to square up and you got to see things quickly. Where am I going to go? Um, you know, you're going to get out in space. Hey, you know, how do I set up alignment? Like vision includes like knowing where this guy is so I can set my alignment up, all that kind of stuff. But from a play design and an execution standpoint, uh, timing is important. And that was something I thought for years was the problem for Notre Dame. I felt like their screens were always poorly designed and timed. Like they were obvious. You could see it right away. They were either too slow or too fast. Uh, that got better last year, I thought. And it's it need, there's still room for improvement. But I thought that was one of the reasons we saw you know, a little bit more – the last couple of years, I think I think Tom Reese has done some really good things with the screen game. You know, we saw against – I mean, just even back to his first game as an OC, you know, true game as the OC against Duke two years ago. We saw the screen early where they faked a reverse to Jafar Armstrong, pretended like they were going to throw a bomb, and then dumped it off to Jafar on a screen. Then that same game, they threw a quick, you know, look screen outside. Now screen people call it – some people call it 
to Kyron Williams for that went for 75 yards, right? And then I think there was another screen to Chris Tyree that game that was more of a traditional slip screen. So I think variety is too is too is good, Ryan, and and not just having like a screen, but you know a, a package of it that that keeps people honest. Well, I, I think they have the playmakers this year where the screen game can be a oh, elements. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. different types too, like different yeah. types of screens. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I would mean, love to see Audric Estime square up a defense on a slip screen. Right. <laughs> Get downhill. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Mr. Corner. <laughs> you know, Lo- even even Logan Diggs just kind of he he comes to me as like a player that really is slippery in space. And we saw and, it. The, the was it yeah. Navy? Or Georgia mm-hmm. Tech. What was the one where he scored on a slip screen? Was it? I think it was Navy, right? Maybe Navy. We saw we saw it in the uh, we saw it in the the practice that we had availability too, right? He took a screen and took That's it right, to like the house, forty so. yards. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. That's right. And he made it. He made a nice move, but he set the lineman up for that. So it was very well done. Good question, John. Very good question. Very good question. Uh, when Tyler Buckner was on the field, the run game opened up every time with one exception, Cincinnati. With a dual-threat quarterback, does the standard for run game efficiency rise? Absolutely. I mean, and that's something that Notre Dame has talked about. I mean, and we've talked a lot about, John, is is when you have a quarterback that's a legitimate threat as a runner, not as a scrambler, but as a runner, that, that has to be determined. Because I never felt like Ian Book benefited the run game as a runner. Because Ian Book wasn't a guy that really kept the ball a lot on read zones. He was Ian Book's most of his yards, and he ran for a lot of yards in Notre Dame. A bunch of his yards, Vince, were on scrambles. He had, an, he had a couple draws that were that went for big gains, but you weren't running like power reads a lot. You weren't running read zones a lot. It was a lot of scrambles. That doesn't really impact the run game the way that like a Brandon Wimbush would or right. Deshaun Kaiser or what we anticipate with a Malik Zaire and what we anticipate with Tyler Buckner, you know, and Everett Golson was a lot like Tyler Buckner, right? Like Everett wasn't a guy that ran a ton as on design runs, especially in 2014. He did occasionally in 2013. I mean, he would, he would pull it on a read zone. He had one against Oklahoma that went for on third, I think a third down that moved the chains. But in 2014, we didn't see as much of that from Everett. It was more scrambles where he had the impact. Uh, I think Tyler Buckner will be more like the Malik, the Deshaun, the Brandon Wimbush, where you'll see more designed runs or at very least a decent amount of read zones where he's going to keep the ball. And that and that includes the pure inside zone read, but also like power reads. And when I say when I say read stuff, I'm referring to the entire package of of read concepts, not just the the read zone. We made it 35 minutes into the podcast without a Dante Moore question. I figure now is the time. Mm-hmm. So. Luke Walker, Dante Moore recently had an interview with 247 and said his recruitment could stretch into his senior season. How much would your confidence wane if Dante Moore waits that long? Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite I, a bit. Mean, I'll, I mean, I, I don't expect it to go into the season. So as of right now, I feel like Notre Dame's in a very good position right now. So mm. if it if it, draw, draw, if it draws out like that, then... That yeah, means something's changed. Thinking. Yeah, that, right. that means something drastic has changed. Or, or he's just not 100% sold at Notre Dame's place for him. I mean, that's yeah. that's all. Like, if he decides to take all five officials and all that, it, there's there, it's more than just, I want to experience the process at that point in time. So, yeah, yeah, I think at that point in time, there's legitimate reason to be concerned. And how many officials has he taken up to this point? Well, none. No one can take officials yet. Oh, okay. They don't start till June. Yeah. Let's see, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had to pull this up. I want to pull this up, Vince. From Read Ryan. He says, uh, notice BK said Saban encouraged him to take the job. 
I see this as Saban not being at all concerned with BK and the SEC rather than Saban thinking about the career benefit to BK. What say you? I'm so glad Ryan said that because I thought it was just me. <laughs> I want to be like, that's not making the point that you think it's making, yeah, Ryan. Exactly. Like when your arch rival's like, yes, take the job. That means he's he's praying because he knows yes. who you are. He wants he to play you every year. You are. He knows he will crush you. That is the funniest thing I've ever read. Like, and I'm and I'm and I thought that was just me being petty. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. But I was just thinking, like, dude, that's not making the point that you think it's making. Uh, have you guys afraid. have you guys seen um what is his name? Joey Melano Milano, the Mol- guy that does Molinero or whatever. Molinero, yeah. The, the guy that does the impressions that did a conversation between Kelly and Saban. That was and- great. That Kelly had, oh, that's right. Kelly, Kelly, Kelly had mess of freaking Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "I do declare." Best of all time, man. Best of all time. My wife was hysterically crying during that. She doesn't even have any rooting interest in it, you know. If you oh yeah, seen so that, you've got to see it. It yeah. was hilarious. It, it was it funny. Was so that was great. funny. It was after BK's family, you know, family. And he's like, I didn't even realize I was doing. Yes, you did. You shut you up. You know, you knew exactly what you were. He doesn't doing. do anything that's not calculated. No, and not that, in those type of settings. That goes for. Then yep. that's why some of the dumbest stuff he ever said was after a game when it was more about emotion. Yes, but when he speaks, you know, and it's like some like the, yeah. the comment about uh, what was it at halftime? He got in trouble for it was a four state game. Like, you know, I want to. What's the comment like? Uh, somebody, uh, like, how do you feel about execution? I'm in favor of it. Yeah, that one. Fa- yeah, and it was like you know that was more of an emotional response because he was trying. It was a scripted emotional response. It was him he, trying to be funny, he's, right? He's not funny, right? But that's him. Is when he's speaking like off the cuff, he's not very good. When he speaks at like press conferences, trust yeah. me, he goes in. He went into that halftime thing with a very clear purpose of trying to relate to people, and he thinks they're a bunch of rubes. So, you know, because he thought Notre Dame fans were a bunch of rubes. Oh, absolutely. So I can only imagine what he thinks of the, you know, all those Cajuns down there. Uh, oh, so they, they, trust me, eat him that's why I want to say to all these LSU fans, you're defending a guy that doesn't give two craps about you. And he will he will use you as a reason why he fails when he fails at the LSU. So yep. just keep that in mind. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. John says the reverse play. Does Notre Dame have wide receivers that can aid the run game consistently game to game? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and they know, and they know it. Lindsay. Yeah. And they well, know and it. Lindsay too. and Styles have both made big plays on Jets rever- and, re- and right. reverses in their right, right, right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No That's, question. They, let's, okay. I'll just leave it at that. They know they have the right personnel to do that stuff. Yeah. They're good. Thank you, Vince. Sorry, I almost went probably. You almost did it. Gone. I almost yeah. Yeah, this close. You kind of did it, but it's all good. That's eh, whatever. It's okay, uh, John, short yardage defense in 22. Does the penetrating style remain effective versus tight formations when it's undersized? Yes. It does, if you have good linebackers. Sure. That's the key. If you have good linebackers, yes. Because the reason the reality is, is that, yes, you can get penetration stops, but if your penetration doesn't get to the gap that the ball is going – you have to have linebackers that can come right off your butts and hit with force. And I don't think they always had that last year because Drew White just didn't have the – he didn't have the punch to be effective there. Like third and inches was not Drew's down. He was a much better down one and two guy, in my opinion, just because of just the the size, right? But, yeah, if, you, if you've if you got 
you know, Marists and, and, and if JD Bertrands and the, the Bo Bowers and the Josh Burnham's and the junior two Alamacas <clears throat> of the world, I like speed. Yeah. You, you penetrate cause you, you get the offensive lineman turned or stopped and then your linebackers hammer the other gaps. You can be real effective there, but yes, Ryan yeah. is, Maris. Ryan is absolutely correct. Maris for all American started yep. early, Brian. Yep. Yeah, I mean, here I'm hearing <laughs> it a lot. I, mean, I, I, I was telling, talking to a, a, a friend of mine last night and we were, he was asking me about, you know, the team and Maris's name came up and I was like, the next time I said, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me, you know, that somebody that's been into practice or whatever's told me like, you know, Maris is going to be a problem. I say, I, I could take my wife out to dinner tonight, you know, because it's, it's a constant theme. It was a constant theme last spring yeah. until, yeah. you know, until well, no last spring, la- I'm sorry, he last didn't fall. have a good spring last, last fall, fall. The summer. Thank the, you. Cause he had a great yeah. summer and he had a, and he had a great, the practices that he had in the fall were right. amazing. Were really good. Yeah. 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 Kay Grant dropping the huge uh, super chat. Thank you very, very much. Just got off work. So I'm behind here. But did Brian lay the smackdown on Kelly yet? Uh, the answer is yes. Well, not on the night. show. Uh, yeah. No. It, but in the article. In the but article. We, yeah. We just, because I don't feel like we, somebody was like, you need to do a show about it. I was like, we did. We did this like a week ago when Sean and I did that Why Marcus Freeman Will Win yeah. show. I mean, that part of the, a right. good chunk of the show was. Like that's to say, the stuff I wrote in the article yesterday isn't really new to people in the in the in the, the chat over right. here. Like it's just it's it was just kind of more done in a you know written form. Can I just say my favorite part is is people commenting to you about where was this when Brian Kelly was still yeah, here? That's, yeah. that's my yeah. favorite part. Like you don't know, you got the wrong dude, man. <laughs> That's my favorite part, man. Every time you can say many things about me, but saying that I was a Brian Kelly apologist for the last five years is not one. Not one of them. Sorry, sorry. Uh, John says Prince Kali seems to have a chance to push for the middle linebacker spot, competing with Bo Bauer. If he jumps ahead this spring, how hard will it be for JD Bertrand to catch up in the fall? I not hard. I mean, because the thing is, JD's got a whole season of what we know of what he can do. Right. And good coaches don't often just dismiss guys who are out because of an injury, especially he's out of an injury because of him playing. I mean, he was playing for you. He was helping you, you know, have a, an 11 and two football team. Yeah. So, no, I don't think it'd be hard. And, and I don't know if I don't know if. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if Prince is definitely going to be like the guy at Mike. I think it's more about him getting some reps there because they're cross training guys a lot in the spring. I think ideally. They want him to be that guy at will that can spell Marist and 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 help him there. But if if he's too good to not play, then yeah, he'll play. I think the guy that needs to be more worried about Prince taking time at Mike is Bo Bauer, not right. Not I agree. Bertrand. That that would be. I would agree with that as well. And Vince says that I agree I, with such hurt. It, in his it hurts my heart. It does you love Bo. Heart. And look, anyone that knows Bo loves Bo. Bo's yeah. a great kid. It's not yes. about that. Great kid. Had a chance to meet his mom a couple times. She's really cool. Um, you know, it just it's. I mean, it's not personal. It's just this is what we see on film. I hope he proves me wrong because I've still say if Bo Bo Bauer figuring it out up here would do wonders for this defense. Yeah, no doubt. There's no question about because when he does when he does what he's supposed to do, I mean, he's he's an impressive guy. Right. Really downhill athleticism is really good. Yes, sir. Lou Holtz won the national title in his third year. Would Irish Breakdown project Coach Freeman to win a national title year three or even before? I'm an optimist before. I'm an optimist. 
Yeah, I would, I would, I would. I mean, I think he's going to have a shot his first two years. Yeah, I think I mean, he's got a great shot. I mean, I'd... but yeah, year three will. And the thing about year three is, you know, that's going to be when the current freshman class of Jalen Sneed and and Tobias Merriweather and those guys are going to be juniors. This incoming freshman class will be going into year two. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's kind of where you want to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where you want to be. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. And in today's era, you know, you can have more of an impact from year two guys. I mean, look, we've talked about this with Clemson. I mean, the year that they won their second title, they had a true freshman quarterback. Their best receiver was a true freshman. They had a true sophomore was their number two receiver. A true sophomore was their best running back. So, I mean, you, you can, you can, uh, yeah. You can win with young guys if you coach them up properly and you scheme yeah. properly. And I have no doubt in my mind that the current coaching staff can do that. And we're going to see the youth and the talent on the field. That's what we're going to see. And mm-hmm. so they, I think he's got a great shot of doing it, whether it's year three or year two or year one. I mean, I, I could definitely see it. Now, I will also say that certain things have to go your way and, and certain mm-hmm. things in the landscape of college football have to go your way. Just like we talked about prior to the 21 season on how the landscape of college football laid out perfectly for Notre Dame. They just weren't able to capitalize on it. And this is why we had the reaction that we had to the Tennessee State game in 2023. Right. Because that is a year where things should be good for you. You know, I mean, and and Ohio State and you and Clemson are most likely both going to be breaking in new quarterbacks that year. And, you know, I mean, there's just a lot to kind of. Sure. You know, you don't want to you don't want to do anything that's going to hurt your chances that year. And and that's one of the reasons that, that we looked at the game the way that we did. But. And it's a different conversation for a different day, but yeah, I, I think they'll ha- certainly have a chance. Certainly yeah. have a chance. And I'll say this: Marcus Freeman's walking into a better situation than Lou Holtz walked into in 1986. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, no question about that. Corey D says Clarence Lewis is going to be an important piece to the Notre Dame defense this year. However, what are the chances of Barnes capturing the starting spot from Lewis? Barnes, from all indication, is playing well. Ryan, you want to take a shot at that one because I, I just the whole time I'm re- hearing this question read, I'm thinking of the text you sent me the other day (laughs) (laughs) um uh, going to be important piece in Notre Dame defense this year um I I mean look I mean I saw Barnes in in the practice obviously we saw him and he's a very impressive kid right and we we did a breakdown where we talked about the difference between field and boundary corner and I think that that really becomes less and less important when you ha- if you had a guy like a Ryan Barnes on the other side of a Cam Hart because they both have the length and athleticism to do a little bit of both. Um, so I think that Barnes is an ideal player to fight into the role. Clarence Lewis, for me, is a guy that I think can be used kind of a bit of all over, though. He's a guy that like I would love to see in the nickel a little bit. I would love to see him at safety, outside at certain spots. Like I think that you can use Clarence Lewis in, in particular spots so that he can be an effective player of the secondary. I just question what the overall upside is to having him as a full-time starting outside corner. That's all my concerns come to. Here we go. It says uh, M go Irish says I'm feeling greedy this Friday. In your opinion, what are the odds of the Irish pulling off an offensive trifecta of Moore, Tate and James? Ryan, you take first crack at that. You're the recruiting guy. Yeah, um, the odds, I would say the best odds to the worst odds, I guess. Maybe we'll go there, okay? I would say we we're talking about we're talking about Dante Moore. We're talking about Jason Moore, I guess. We're talking I would about imagine Dante. Dante. Okay. Because he says offensive trifecta. I would say that it's a pretty close tie between Braylon James and Dante Moore. I think they're both in very in uh, 
good position with Notre Dame right now, and then Carnell Tate would be afterwards. If you want to put James at 1A and more at 1B, that's fine. Um, either way, I think that they are both in very good position, and things are trending well for Carnell Tate. It's a neck-and-neck battle with Ohio State, but I think that right now they have a better opportunity to land James and more than Tate as it stands. As far as pulling off the trifecta, I'd say better than 50-50 odds, but I mean until Fair. until one of until look until cuz see like one of these pieces is going to be so important to the other piece. And so until Dante, you know, makes a public commitment to Notre Dame, I'm 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 going to have more skepticism about Carnell Tate. And yep. <clears throat> you know, you all know how I feel about Notre Dame and Dante more, but again and 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 from talking to sources, he has not set a time to make a commitment. And the longer that continues to be the case, the more, because like, here's the thing. People ask me, who's the number two for Dante Moore? And I'm like, there isn't one. Hmm. I mean, there really isn't a number two. The problem, however, is that, and I've said this before, is if he does go into the summer and take official visits, there's a more and more and more time for every school to negatively recruit against Notre Dame and, you know, convince him of this and convince him of that. And by then the, the quarterback sort of carousel of, you know, sorted out, he'll become even more important to other teams then because he's the last of the big time guys that's on the board. I think Arch will be gone by the summer. Malachi's already off the board. Nico's already off the board. It'll be maybe Dante and Jaden Rashad will be about it. Jackson Arnold's off the board. Vizina will be off the board by then. And so the teams that are kind of, you know, it's like a game of musical, you know, musical quarterbacks, right? It I is, mean, yeah. When you, when you, you know, there's two quarterbacks left and five people that want to get them. And so, you know, it becomes more concerning. And the longer that plays out, the more challenging it's going to be to get, get Cardinal Tate. So right now I'd say better than 50-50, but not a ton. And the longer it goes with Dante Moore not making a public decision, um, because let's just say hypothetically that Dante was sil- a silent. Because people say, well, you say public because it means he's a silent commit. Let's just say hypothetically he was. Okay, I don't care about silent commitments. I it doesn't matter. A whole lot. If he's unwilling to make a public commitment, again, in this hypothetical situation, and he's going to go into the summer, then at that point in time, his silent commitment that he would give, let's say he gives a silent commitment tomorrow, it would mean nothing by June. I mean, because there's a reason he hasn't. Right. made it public because there's clearly something else he's looking for for some reason. And I'm not saying that's true. We we don't know when he's going to make a decision. And I think Dante is purposely going to play the game to yep. where it's just, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think he wants all that. Cause uh, you know, so I don't know what he's going to do. I'm just saying hypothetically in that situation, if going back to the original question, it goes in the summer, that's where I'm coming from. I don't, I'm not trying to get people to panic and all that kind of stuff. My opinion on Dante Moore has not changed. I'm just trying to, you know, based on previous questions, kind of have a, a conversation of when I would start getting a little bit concerned. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And this is a kind of a loaded question, but we'll see how we go here. Skylar ND says, Brian and Vince, can you explain the difference between pro spread and college spread mm-hmm. offense? Brian mentioned yesterday that Clemson runs a college spread and Notre Dame a pro spread. No, I said Notre Dame runs a pro style offense. And I say pro spread. And if, right. but, but I wouldn't say that's necessarily inaccurate. I'm not saying that's inaccurate. Spread essentially is a generic term for essentially an offense that runs a lot of three to four receiver offenses. I mean, it's, it's a real, it's turned into a very generic term. It used to mean something more specific. It's kind of like Ryan West coast. Now, you know, it used to mean something very specific and you could trace the lineage and you knew you, a West coast was going to do this, 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 and this. It's not really that way as much anymore. And, and a spread is essentially, again, you spread them out. Right. But there's no like it's not like the air raid where in the air raid, there's certain principles that every air raid offense is going to do from a throwing standpoint. Right. But in some air raids, you have air raid coaches like Lincoln Riley and Phil Longo who run the ball a ton. Mm-hmm. And you have air raid offenses like Mike Leach that never run the ball. But there's certain principles that they're all going to have yep. when you watch a, a spread offense like a Clemson and, and compare it to what Ohio State was pre Ryan Day. There's so a lot of similarities, right? A lot of G, you know, G scheme, not G scheme, but G counter, a lot of power, a lot of, you know, run game like that. A lot of quarterback runs, a lot of perimeter screens. You know, the concepts are somewhat simple and basic pro Ryan day or post Ryan day being hired. You see a little bit more of a pro style scheme. Although again, Ohio state's quarterbacks, Ryan are not asked to do a whole lot from a reading standpoint, but schematically, wow. There's some really intriguing stuff. It's more of a vertical passing game mixed in. And, and so it's still, but it's still to me a spread offense, in my view. Notre Dame is more of a pro style offense because there's far more complexity to the Notre Dame pass game than there is the Ohio State pass game. The yeah. quarterbacks at Notre Dame are asked to do a lot more from a pre and post snap reading standpoint. And so that's really what makes it pro style to me is number one, the type of route combination. It's more of a downfield throwing game. Uh, it, it's more of a, a, a pro style run game, you know, inside zone, outside zone counter stuff like that. Uh, and, and it, and just what you're asking your quarterback to do. And mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons I think that Trevor Lawrence had a bit of a, I think Trevor Lawrence had two things working against him as a rookie. Number one, he came from an offense that didn't ask him to do a whole lot mentally. Number two, he went to a crap organization with a head coach who had no clue what he's doing, right? But you give Trevor Lawrence a good coaching situation, and he'll pick it up quickly, right? But there is a, a growth period that he was going to need to go from what he was doing from a reading standpoint to the other. One thing that's going to benefit Notre Dame quarterbacks, if they're ever, ever able to develop them properly, is Notre Dame quarterbacks are going to go to the NFL if they have the ability to read a defense, are going to go to the NFL very prepared to read defenses the way that NFL teams ask quarterbacks to read defenses. Would you say that's fair, Ryan? Now, again, if they had that ability, Ian Book just didn't have that ability. There's nothing you can do to fix that. I've said this a million times. And mm-hmm. that's why 
the I mean, Ryan, it seems pretty obvious that the Saints are already looking to replace Ian Book. I mean, is <laughs> is that is that an inaccurate? I'm not saying that to be to take a shot at him. I mean, yeah, we're hearing it. We, we heard they tried to trade him last year during camp, right? And then he has his one start, and now there's all these rumors about the trades they're making or to try to get a quarterback. Okay. Well, there's reason because they're seeing what we always knew, which is the kid can't read a defense, mm-hmm. just can't. But that's not a Notre Dame problem. That's an Ian Book problem. Notre Dame, I think, actually does one of the better jobs in the country with Tommy Reese of really preparing guys mentally mm-hmm. to go play. That's why you're seeing no, – think about this. Notre Dame had three guys that were either undrafted or seventh-round picks play a lot in the NFL last year on offense. Tommy Kramer, Brock Wright, and Ben Skronik. And a part of that is is because mentally these guys showed up ready to play in an NFL offense. Sure. That's what I believe to be true. Yeah. No, I I think you nailed it perfectly. And I mean, a quick note, I guess, to the Ohio State side of things, which you say is more of a college-based spread, even though it's it it obviously is getting a little more complex under Ryan Day. Right. I mean, the the running trend on Ohio State quarterbacks, it's not a f it's not a athleticism and talent deficiency at at Ohio State at quarterback position. The fact of the matter is is that there is a huge crash course going from the Ohio State offense to an NFL-style offense. It just is. And it's that doesn't mean that none of them can be successful because I do think that Justin Fields can be successful if the Chicago Bears get a good team around him. Like, I do think that that's possible. But, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I watched Ohio State film and I saw a mesh sit, like, that's all they run is mesh. Like, it's, it's right. insane. Like, they're just – they're trying to – and, hey, it works for them for the most part because they are just trying to manipulate space because they have guys like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like, they have dudes, obviously, out there. So they're just trying to get their guys the ball in space. I mean, you can't doubt them for doing it, but there is a little bit of a learning curve from how they attack the, uh, they attack a defense comparative to what you're going to be doing on the NFL level. So that certainly is a more – like, just college versus pro style. It's just – you're basically just talking about complexity at the end of the day. Right. That's what that's what it comes down right. to. And I think there are some concepts that um, need to be a certain way. So, uh, Vince, you got to run. I thought I thought you had till two thirty today. A little bit. I, yeah, I have to get my stuff ready. But yeah, I mean, okay. I, yeah, I have to leave the house at two thirty. Okay. Um, but here we go. I, I like this one, and I think this one's going to be very interesting. Demetrius Rex says, "Would you rather have Jack Cohn for another year?" with this improved offensive line or have the QB situation be what it is this year. Vince, since you got to run after this, why don't you go ahead and start and, and give this is intrig- you like the, clearly have some on your mind. Cause that's why you liked the question. Yeah. This is intriguing to me because I would have loved to see Jack Cone under a Harry he stand coached offensive line because we did see what he could do towards the end of the season behind a average to better than average offensive line and he was really good in my opinion right I think he did really really well in the second half of the season and we can talk about the level of play and all of that and I get all of that but I I think Jack Cohn's a good quarterback Mm -hmm. and I think behind a really good offensive line which is what I believe that this offensive line will be this year and what I believe last year's could have been if they were coached properly I think Jack Cohn could take off now it's a completely different offense with the quarterback situation that they're going to have this year. So I guess it boils down to what offense would I rather have, I suppose, the one that I think that is going to, you know, uh, a Tyler Buckner-led offense or a Jack Cohn-led offense, because those are two different things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I would love to see Jack Cohn get an opportunity behind a really good offensive line, 
it's still a more dynamic offense with with Tyler Buckner behind, you know, as the starting quarterback. Now, as a first-year starter, is it going to be? I'm not 100% sure. I think it could be. I think it has the ability to be. But I I really would have loved to see Jack Cohn just spreading the ball out to all of the weapons that are going to be on this team. I think that would have been so much fun to watch. Brian, you want to take a crack at this one? Yeah, I mean, I simply I simply just think that the upside's higher with a Buckner if he ends up being the starting quarterback than Jack Cohn. That's pretty much as simple as it gets to me. You know, if, if Notre Dame is trying to take that push to being a championship-level team, I just want to go for the higher upside. It's no slight against mm-hmm. Jack Cohn. I think Jack Cohn's a good quarterback. And selfishly, like Vince kind of said, I would like to see what Jack Cohn can look at look like mm-hmm. with a better, st- better stability around him from an offensive line perspective, like no doubt about it. But I just think that the upside's higher with Buckner, so I would just defer to Buckner in that sense. You know what's interesting, Ryan, is I feel like if if Jack was able to come back and let's just say they were like, hey, Jack, it's your team, I think he'd have a great year. I think Notre Dame would be very good. And I think Jack would have a chance to be drafted higher next year in a better quarterback class than he will this year in a bad quarterback class. For Jack, it would have been awesome. Yes. And and Ryan, I somewhat agree with, with you, but that where I was kind of going is – it's not just about 2022 for me. It's I want to get Tyler Buckner, his opportunity to develop as a quarterback. And do I think Notre Dame would have a better chance at beating Ohio state with Jack Cohn? Yes. To Ryan's point in the opener. Yes. Do I think Notre Dame will have a better chance at winning a national championship in December and January with Tyler Buckner? Yes. Right. And so if Jack came back, that means at some point in time during the season, there'd have to be a takeover. And I wouldn't want that for Jack. So, you know, let's just say Tyler Buckner was not in the equation and it was about Jack. Oh, I would love to see it. I think Vince, I think we would all agree that Jack would have a heck of a year. I agree. Behind this offensive line with these weapons. I mean, you know, Lorenzo as a sophomore and Lindsay finally with some coaching and all, you'd have a great year. And I could see Jack sneaking into, you know, late day two, early day three next year. It's just that for the team and the program, not just now, but in the future, it's it's time. It's time to see what Tyler Buckner can sure. do. And 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 I'm not saying you can't beat Ohio State with Tyler Buckner. I just would feel way better about because I think Jack, I think Jack would absolutely shred that Ohio State secondary. I think so too. I think yeah. I think I think Tyler, I think they can run on Ohio State. I don't know if they're gonna be able to throw on Ohio State the way that in game one, the way that they could with Jack a quarterback. That's that's where I'm coming from. So, I mean, I think Jack would have a monster day against Ohio State. I do too. I think he would have, I I think he would have, I don't want to call it a coming out party, but I think a lot of people were sleeping on how good Jack Cohn could be. And I I think, well, and I understand why. I get it too. I'm just saying, I think he would have a banner day against Ohio State. I I really do feel that way. So, um, I like Jack Cohn. What can I say? I think he. Would well, have I mean, great... I and look, and the kid's a good, great kid, and sure. great family, and all that, and I get it. But I still, I think it just at the end of the day, if it was just about Jack, I'd love to see it. Yeah. But for the present and future of the program, it's time to see what Tyler sure. can do. And that's why I'm glad we don't have to make that decision. You don't have to say no to Jack. He didn't have. He didn't have the option. Yeah, he didn't have that option. Right. Right. And so... I think I think he's going to have success wherever he goes. You know what I mean? I, I think he could make pretty good living in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I do think that. I, I yeah. think he can make a real. Good I, I think this, uh, you know, even like a, a day, a late day two, early day three pick next year. Whether I'm right or wrong about that, it's it's it's, you know, he's he's still a marginal NFL starter or sure. most likely a backup. Absolutely, I, just based on physical tools. But 
there's value to that. I mean, Absolutely. you can still be a third, fourth round pick with that type of projection. I just think there'd have been a lot more confidence. And I think he would have been another full year removed from the injury and all that kind of stuff. And then, and, and I think yeah. another year in Tommy Reese's offense would have done us some good, but Absolutely. I, I, I just, again, it's, it's just, it's time to see what Tyler Buckner can do. It's just time. Michael Keeley with the question here, if Estime and Diggs have big jumps and t- uh, could Tyree play more wide receiver? He is dangerous in the slot and also will likely translate to to his draft stock in the future. This could assist the wide receiver depth issues. I just want to say something like that. Where have we seen Chris Tyree be dangerous in the slot? I, I don't think we've ever seen it. He's he's never caught a pass in a game from the slot, mm-hmm. ever. All his yeah. big plays last year were out of the backfield. So I don't know where that comes from. Yep. But beyond that, Ryan, I'll let you kind of – answer this question because my answer is just no yeah no I mean it's a no for me too because to your point I think that the best the best option that you have with Chris Tyree being a mismatch because I mean he could be a mismatch to a degree in the slot maybe if it's against a safety or a linebacker but coming out of the backfield on an option route an angle route a wheel route something like that where you can isolate him against a a linebacker or, or second level defender I think that's where the biggest mismatch comes from. So I don't I don't see Chris Tyree just playing wide receiver just in general. He's a running back. You can use him out of the backfield and in the passing game as a weapon, as a running back. You don't need to move him to wide receiver for him to make an impact in the passing game. So I see this, in theory, hopefully, being a three-headed monster because I think mm-hmm. all three of those young men have outstanding talents and they're all extremely different types of backs. So I think ideally if Estime and Diggs take big steps and Chris Tyree is able to stay healthy and durable, then you're talking about a three-headed monster that rivals the best in college football, in my opinion. I agree. I I, I think you can use them all. I, I don't think it's, I, I think there's an, uh, an unfair assumption that Chris Tyree won't be the number one guy. Uh, but I also think there's a, a, a misguided assumption that Chris Tyree can be a receiver. I don't see that in his game. I think he's a really good pass catcher as a running back. He's not Kyron Williams. Kyron Williams could have done that. Kyron Williams could have been a slot receiver in college, I believe. Um, in in like in in the Clemson offense, we were talking about Clemson spread offense. In the Clemson offense, Chris Tyree would have been a really, I mean, excuse me, uh, Kyron Williams would have been a really good slot receiver because that's what he did for a lot of his career. That's not Chris Tyree's game. And so, and I, and I definitely don't see him as a receiver in the NFL. Uh, I'd see him as maybe a pass catching back in the NFL, but that's going to be out of the backfield. Not, not as a, as a runner. I, I, there's a lot more that goes into being a receiver than just being his size and being fast. And I just don't see him as having those, those traits. Freeman's pecs as a coach, what type of kid and student athlete do you find is the most difficult to coach on the field and connect with off the field? What type of kids are the hardest to reach? It's kind of simple for me, Ryan. It's kids that think they they have all the answers. True. I mean, it's yeah. it's really that simple. I mean, I mean, I, I've connected with kids who come from privilege. I've connected with kids who come from nothing. I've connected with kids who are white, kids who are black, kids who are Hispanic, and I've had problems connecting with kids of all those different things too. It usually the thing is that that you have a hard time is is kids who who like in as far as when it's the kids' fault, it's it's because they think they have all the answers. As a coach, when it's your fault, a lot of times it's because you're unwilling to see why a player may be g- guarded, you know, why he may be, you know, have chain, you know, have walls up. I had a kid who just didn't, he wasn't real coachable at first when I got there. Then the more you get to know him, you meet his mom, you talk to people about him and you realize, you know, he has he had a, in his life, 
male authority figures, especially ones that look like me, hadn't really done right by him, right? So as a young man, he sees me and I'm just the next in line of people like that. I had to break down that wall before I could get him to realize like, look, here's why I'm saying what I'm saying and doing what I'm doing. But if I, if I didn't care enough to look into why is this kid not listening to me, then I just would have said he's a punk who doesn't want to be coached. Right. So that's when it's the coach's fault when you're unwilling to see why. but sometimes kids are just pricks. I mean, sometimes they just think they know it all. There's no good reason for it. They just, they're pricks. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, and that's the reality, but you've got to do your due diligence as a coach to try to, you know, is this kid just disrespectful or, you know, just because he's just that kind of kid, or is that a, 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 a protection mechanism for him to not let himself get screwed over again? Or, you know, it's like people ask, you know, like what are the type of people that have the hardest time, you know, talking to me about God? And it's, it's usually people that have had really rough parental situations, especially with a father. Because when you compare God to a father and then your dad's a is abusive, drunk, and awful person, it's like, well, I don't want a dad. I had one and he was terrible. And it's the same thing here is, is you're not you've got to be able to to learn to get to know why they are the way they are. But the kids that are hardest to reach are the ones who just, in my opinion, think they have all the answers. So that's my that's my little bit of a, a long-winded answer, Ryan. Yeah. You see, and I was a college coach, you were a high school coach, so it's it's different. I'd be really curious to kind of see what it was like for you because you know you're recruiting a more re, you know regionalized area i was mm-hmm. you know it's a little it's a little bit different and i think that's a makes for a unique answer so i'd be curious to hear what it is uh yeah i, I mean I, I feel like there's a lot of experiences i've had not only as just a coach but for my teaching background as well you know I, I think the biggest thing that's always kind of stuck with me about forging those relationships is empathy you know because you don't truly understand what someone's going through until you try to actually understand right because you, you can only kind of parlay off of your experiences until someone is able to kind of give you a peek under the under the blinds a little bit to what they're experiencing so the toughest part and I would agree with Brian is when players won't budge right when students mm-hmm. just won't budge and those could that could be for a lot of different reasons that wall could be up and that's fine if the wall's up I could break through it eventually and I'll keep mm-hmm. hammering away until I eventually right. break through it but the only time that you have real trouble reaching someone is to your point is when they think they know everything. When they you get through they the wall it. and you're like, oh no, that's the same. That's the, it wasn't yeah. the wall. <laughs> there's a there's a safe behind that wall now, and you ha- don't have the tools to get into that safe. Like it's yeah, it's very frustrating too because I mean you always try to reach those types of kids, but you know for whatever reason they just have blinders on. It seems like and they just and a lot of times it's because of upbringing. <laughs> it is. Ooh. I mean honestly, you kind of portray yourself you know, the way your parents kind of brought you up in in most cases. That's not mm-hmm. always the same, but right. yeah, it's 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 always difficult when a when a kid just will not take criticism because they just don't think they did anything wrong. If you don't think you did right. anything wrong, there's no reason to change. Right. Right. Or there's some reason why they don't have to listen to you. Right. And it's like, okay. And, but it's always your job as a coach or teacher to, and I didn't even think about the teacher angle, Ryan. That also adds a really interesting deal too. But it's your job to find out why that's the case. And then at some point in time, you just realize, okay, this kid doesn't want to be coached, so I'm not gonna. But if you're not going to take coaching, you know what else you're not going to do? Play. <laughs> so I mean, that was always my go-to. Like, okay, cool. You don't have to do what I'm going to tell you to do, but that's fine. I'm going to play people that will, you know. And uh, yes, I think the other thing too is with, with young people is you have to be willing. This is something I like about Marcus Freeman. 
he's he kid you have to do what the coaches are telling you to do but one thing he's told his coaches is but don't be afraid to explain to them why you're asking them to do it that way and that should always be the, be true I, I never understood coaches like why do you do this because i said so there comes a point in time ryan where that's the answer i've explained it to you you just don't want to listen so do it because i said so <laughs> You know well, what I mean? I mean, that happens in teaching too, mm-hmm. honestly. I mean, I, I want kids to ask why they need to know something right. because I, I feel like for a lot of time, you know, growing up when I was in their shoes, it was like the teacher would just say, because this is how I was taught. And it's just like, right. that's, not a, that's not an answer. That's not, <laughs> that's not an answer. That's just yeah. you. That's basically you being spiteful because you had to go through some things right. and you had to now now take it back on it. Or your job generation. is simply to get me to, 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 this is the problem with teaching to tests when the end game is just to pass a test. You're not actually teaching them anything. You're getting them to memorize a certain formula just in order to pass the test, and then they don't need to retain it afterwards. If you truly want to get kids to 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 learn, learning to me is a more long term thing. It, it's a it becomes applicable when you've learned something as opposed to just memorize something. Right, and that's what I always found. Teachers that would give me that, it was either because that's just what they knew, or because they didn't really care about me learning. They just wanted me to memorize it, so. I would be able to regurgitate on the test and they could go to their bosses and say, look at the test scores. Give me a raise, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is what it is. Happy Friday, Ivy nation, Rob. Thank you so much. Uh, we have some comments to what, you no know, Brian Kelly, not only is BK making excuses on why he couldn't win the big one, he's kind of dragging Notre Dame through the dirt and basically saying he had to work with too much. I, and that was kind of part of the reason Ryan or Chris, that we, that we felt that that article was, needed to be said because i sent it to ryan first i was like okay is this enough did i hammer him enough is it you know is it too much and ryan was like go hit send (laughs) so oh goodness gracious that guy all right jeff fluke says since you love the hot dog question what are there more of in the world wheels or doors wheels has to be uh, wheel, right? I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on there's certain parts of the world where there are no really wheels or not many. The only wheels are like on a wheelbarrow. I mean, there's, there's parts of the world where you don't have cars and then, you know, maybe like three cars in the entire village. I mean, but there may still be know. bikes and scooters. Right, but that's and... like two. And so, you know, you think so. That's a good question. I, I would want to know the answer to that one. I'd say wheels. That's my answer. Yeah. That's a good even question. like even like toys like Hot Wheels and oh yeah, see yeah, if you're lot. going to like that yeah. oh they're wheels they're wheels that, no I, I I agree I agree he didn't say what kind of wheels that's a good question it's a good question good question Rob Oz good hey guys I'm in North Carolina and I know Notre Dame is re, re, mm, recruited well here before but seems like they have increased their recruiting down my way especially with the O lineman three games here in North Carolina in the next two years as well thanks yeah Rob I mean. I think the the three the three offensive linemen in the Carolinas this year is is just more of a coincidence. It just happens that there are some good linemen that they're going after. I think the Carolinas have been an important part for Notre Dame for uh, several years now, and sometimes they don't have success there. Sometimes they do, but they've always gone there, in my opinion. And I do think that ramping that up would be a smart thing because the Carolinas Ryan produces a lot of good football players, and sometimes sure. guys that don't get the recognition that they maybe should, and you know, don't get recruited as heavily, but man, there's some good football players. And that's what we talked about yesterday, the DMV. And you had made a comment afterwards, like, and you need to extend that a little bit down to the Carolinas as well. It's yep. that mid Atlantic, which is the DMV plus the Carolinas is incredibly important for Notre Dame. Oh, for sure. And I mean, Rob, just to hit on a couple guys, obviously you're talking about the offensive line class for 2023, potentially guys that Notre Dame is looking at Monroe Freeling's the big one, obviously out of South Carolina, 
Um, you also have uh, Sam Pendleton, who's a recent offer from Notre Dame a couple weeks ago, who is already visiting campus this weekend in Notre Dame. So obviously that is ramped up very quickly. And then Sullivan Absher is another guy that Notre Dame has uh, has a high opinion of and hopes that lands him um, hopefully sometime in the near future, if possible. It's going to be a Clemson battle uh, for Sullivan, and it seems also for Monroe, um, which makes total sense with his proximity to home. And Absher has a final three of Notre Dame, Clemson, and NC State, but but most people I talk to, it's it's really going to come down to Notre Dame or Clemson is what it sounds like. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And that's why the, you know, the visits, they're both expected on campus. Sam Pendleton is on campus now, I believe, right? Isn't he on mm-hmm. campus today? Yep. And then obviously Absher and Freeling will be on campus again for the 23rd. And I think it's interesting that Freeling and Absher, it's not that they visited together, mm-hmm. but both times they visit will be the same weekend. Yeah. They were both on campus the 29th. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's planned. I just think it's interesting that that's the, the way that it goes. Uh, D rock. Good afternoon, everyone. Great article, Brian Wade. to tell it like it is. You are welcome. Uh, Leopard irons. I think it's a great name, Brian. How fired up were you when you wrote your BK article yesterday? Actually not a ton. And that's partly why it took me so long to get started. I had to kind of like, you know, because if I, if I, if I would have just wrote what I immediately felt and hit send, it would have looked way different (laughs) and it would have been way it would have been unprofessional to be honest with you because if like I think Ryan will tell you if I if I said publicly the things I feel about Brian Kelly without the the thoughtful process of like putting together a, an article that that uh, represents what we believe in at Irish breakdown um, it would it would not be an article that represents what we believe in at Irish breakdown it would be very raw and uh, try not to do things like that. But I, I would say I was still I was still jazzed up. Like I was still like the rebuttal needed to be said. I was uh, pissed off, but I wasn't I wasn't like the fired up I was when I first read the article because I sent it to Ryan and Sean right away when I and I and I was I was pretty pissed because again it's one thing to take shots at Jack Swarbrick. Jack Swarbrick's a very wealthy man. Jack Swarbrick can handle it. He doesn't need me to defend him. Although I did a little bit. Uh, it was the, it was the, and even the training table thing is it's petty. It's typical BS stuff from Kelly. The thing that really got me was the stuff about the players. And there was a couple comments and it was, cause when you talk about recruiting, you're talking about the players. When you say we have to shop down a different aisle, the way Brian Kelly does, that's a shot at the players on your team. You're saying I can't go get the best. That's what he's doing. And that's, that's, those are the, those are really the re, the things behind it. It was one thing to take a shot at Notre Dame and that pissed me off, but it wasn't reaction worthy. It was when he started to kind of get into the, uh, the player aspect of it that I, that I looked at and was like, okay, this, this, this clown needs to be responded to. And you know, that's, I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts on that, Ryan? Like, did you feel like a, a rebuttal needed to be made when I first, when I first sent that to you? I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, especially when you told me that, you know, it was some former players that had quarrels with it too, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. some guys just don't have the platform to, you know, push back against it, right? right? So, I mean, somebody needs to do it, right? Like, it's it's something where you're in a situation where you can push back against it, and it needs to be said if it's, I mean, at the end of the day, man, like, a coach needs to protect his players, and if you throw guys under the bus like that, like, you don't deserve any any right. you know, proper chance, like you, you deserve what you get at that point. Right. Yep. 
Yep. And appara- apparently, Toaster Oven said that it is wheels. Wheels is the answer, by the way. Okay. So, there you go. All right. That's interesting. I never realized that that was like a, somebody actually did a, a study on that. It's very interesting. You made a compelling argument. Domer Grizz asks, do recruits ever fall in love with the process? It must feel great to get standing ovations and sit on gold thrones. Make sense a recruit want to that to end and would keep taking visits. Some kids do. Yeah, some kids don't like that stuff. And part of a good recruiting operation is knowing the difference is like knowing when to look at a kid and say, hey, look, you know, like, for example, you look at a kid like Charles Jagasaw. I don't think you're going to treat him the way the same way you might have a Cardinal Tate or Dante Moore because you, you. I don't think that's really something that will click with him. So some kids, yeah, fall in love with the process. There's no doubt about it. And and Notre Dame's success with those type of kids has not been great. I don't think Dante is dragging out his recruitment because he likes getting standing ovations and sitting on gold thrones. I think Dante is a very thoughtful young man that wants to make the right decision once. And if he's not willing to make a commitment to Notre Dame like uh, in the near future, then that will tell me that, you know, maybe he's not as sold on Notre Dame as I, as I think he is and keep hearing he is. So uh, certainly some kids, some kids love the process and that's why some kids wait. Not every kid that commits in December or January of, you know, or for February are kids that love the process. It's all circumstances, but there's, there's a lot to do. They they want the official visits, you know. But they they want the the pomp and circumstance. They want the hype. They want to be on TV. There's definitely some kids like that. But it, it's every kid. Some kids hate it. Some kids absolutely hate it. So it just, it just depends on who we're talking about. Mace AK Brian's article is the primary reason why I'm an IB member. There is no BS with IB Nation. I appreciate that. Very, very much, Mace AK, and we do appreciate that you are part of our community, no doubt about it. MT41, B. Ryan, who do you think will be the schools to beat in Samson Olkin Lola's recruitment? Um, a couple schools. I mean, it's it's so it's it's so difficult to predict because Samson's a very hard person to kind of read a little bit, but I would say Penn State, Ohio State, Georgia are the ones that pop out to me as a few. Because, I mean, right now, Samson has said that he wants to get back to Notre Dame, but that has still not been scheduled. Right. So, yeah. He's scheduled one to Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so Michigan it's not State like he too. hasn't. Right. It's not like he hasn't visited places. So that's certainly, certainly concerning to me. Certainly concerning. Kenny Moore says, do you think the wide receiver position has become the second most important position in football? I assume behind quarterbacks. No. No. No, it is not. It. It is, it is on offense a distant third, in my opinion. I, I, I don't think you need great receivers to have a great offense. I don't. I, it, if you've got the right trigger man and the right offensive lineman, you can have good receivers that you can turn into great, a great unit, in my mm-hmm. opinion, right? Now, if you have all three, yeah. great. And, and that doesn't mean you can't have a great offense when your receivers are your second best part, because I would say that's true of Clemson. Mm-hmm. I would say Clemson in 2018, their offensive line was probably their fourth best position group. That's fair. But that's because they were special at those other positions. I mean, they had first round picks across the board, basically, at those positions, and had a pretty darn good freaking defense that year. If Clemson, let's be honest, if Clemson, because they had a lot of 
as great as that team was, because this is kind of what's funny, Ryan. I've heard a lot of people say, like, that Clemson team was one of the greatest teams I've ever seen. And it was a really good team and probably the best Clemson team that I've seen. But that Clemson team also had some flaws. I mean, it wasn't a perfect team. It wasn't in the same league as, like, I would say, like, LSU 2019. And and if you look through the season, they had several scares. I mean, because we're talking about the 2018 team. You know, they they – Barely beat Texas A&M on the road, 28-26. They barely beat Syracuse. Had to have, you know, Chase Bryce come off the bench to win that game. You know, they they looked sloppy against Boston College in a 27-20 win. And, you know, obviously, then they get to the postseason and they look great, right? Like, they had a dominant ACC title game victory, had a convincing victory over a really good Notre Dame team, and then blew out Alabama. But that same team almost lost to Syracuse and should have lost to Syracuse. That same team almost lost to Texas A&M. And, and my point is, if you didn't have the defense that you had that year, then then they don't win those games. And part of it is because it took a while for that offensive line to find its footing, right? So I think the offensive line was part of the reason that Clemson took a while to really get going. So I still view it as the most important thing. And the other thing I'd say, Ryan, too, is part of it depends on who, who are we talking about? What team are we talking about? Because I still feel like, what you do schematically is still going to kind of have an impact on which positions are most important to your football team, you yeah. know? So that, that's a fair point. I would say not only is it not only that I don't even think it's the second best position on the offensive side of the football, but if you mm-hmm. take the defense into account, I definitely don't think it's the second most important position. Cause I mean, for me, the two most important positions in football are quarterback, obviously most position in most important position in sports in general and then I think defensive ends or your outside pass rushers, whatever you want to coin those guys as the ability at quarterback and to affect quarterbacks are the most important thing in my opinion. So I would even say right after that, offensive tackles are after defensive ends, in my opinion, because those are the guys that protect, protect your quarterback and facing off against the best athletes at defensive ends. So I would say wide receivers are somewhere in the cornerback type of conversation, in, from, in my opinion, but you make a fair point that, also does depend on what how your team is built and what team we're talking about but i I would say no to the question This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.